Hi, everyone, and welcome to Oliver Wayman's Reinventing Insurance podcast. I'm your host, Paul Ricard. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of the Reinventing Insurance podcast. I am your host, Paul Ricard, and I have the pleasure of welcoming Beth Costa, who's a partner at Oliver Wyman and leading our payments practice for the Americas. Welcome, Beth. Thank you, Paul. It's great to be here. I'm Beth Costa. I'm a partner in payments and financial services at Oliver Wyman, and I've been in payments for my entire career. I've been not only as a consultant, but also as an operator in the industry and as an operator have worked around the stakeholder group, 360 degree view of payments. So at a bank, at a merchant company, technology company with a network. So we have had the opportunity to see payments from a number of different angles. So Beth, we're on the Reinventing Insurance podcast. I'm sure there's a few folks asking themselves, why are we talking to someone about payments? And I think there's a few different reasons for this. So why don't you tell us about it? Yeah, for sure. I'm sure that there are a few eyes that may start glazing over as we mention the word payments. People might think of it more as an operational or a technical or a pretty nerdy topic, and it certainly has complexities. But what I like to think about with payments is a broader view of the flip side of payments, which is that it's incredibly dynamic and exciting because every time somebody does a payment transaction, they are engaging in commerce. And commerce is something which is evolving so dramatically these days, especially over the last 18 months with the pandemic. Every time a transaction is done, someone is buying something. Over the last 18 months, we have seen an acceleration into digital that we, it was unprecedented and probably sped up that shift by about 10 years. (laughs) And so the opening of that digital Um, chasm, if you will, and so many consumers operating in it now in terms of the commerce side um, really brings a different lens to talking about payments and related financial services. Yeah, the last 18 months have certainly felt like 10 years. And yeah, looking forward to, to discussing this. And I like your spin on commerce as a broader theme. And I think there's a lot of things we can unpack over the next few minutes together. And to your point, you know, we're talking about reinventing insurance. We're bringing a payments and and commerce experts into the series. And as you hinted at it, there's a lot of interesting parallels, a lot of interesting lessons learned. And uh, also, frankly, you're talking about nerdiness. I would say there's actually a lot of nerdiness in insurance too. And, you know, a lot of insurtech, you know, huge insurtech wave uh, that's been coming up in the last few years and a lot that is progressively changing. And so maybe starting there would be interested in your view on, you know, some of the some of the big things that you've seen happening in the, in the payments, in the commerce space? So at a high level, as you noted, the payments in commerce space, like the insurance space, is complex with many stakeholders, multiple business models being used in the market, many types of products and solutions mm-hmm. and different ways of coming at this complex space. 
There's right. a lot of regulations that govern behaviors and make for complexities in operations. And what we're seeing more and more in payments and also in insurance is that there are new innovators that have come into the market. In payments, it's been, I would say, over the last 10 years, especially, where we have seen these fintech companies come in and initially focus in areas that are not being served, and then they have just ballooned. And so a really good example of that is Square. Square Mm -hmm. is just 12 years old, relatively new company. You remember way back when they started that they were that white Square dongle that you would stick in your many generations ago iPhone now. That's right. And it was really helpful for a plumber or a taxi driver or whomever had not been card enabled before. And Mm -hmm. now with that little dongle, and if you had a phone, you just swipe your card and Mm -hmm. voila, you are a card accepting seller, merchant, whoever you might be. Now they've grown into 12 years later, this amazing organization, huge organization that's over a hundred billion dollars in market cap and plethora of products. On this podcast, we talked a lot about, you know, being customer first and and starting from the customer needs and the customer demand back, right? And this is a very good example that you just brought up. A company like Square has expanded its reach and its use cases beyond what it was usually doing. It seems like across financial services, right? We're really seeing a lot of that ecosystem of fintechs, insurtechs, right, and, and players that started with something very specific that was addressing a need and expanded from there. And frankly, in the insurtech space, we're, we're seeing quite a bit of that as well, right? Where players will start, you know, targeting a specific type of insurance or a specific need and expand from there will also expand across the, the value chain. So maybe interested in, in getting your, your broader reaction and your broader perspectives on this. For sure. And, and the fintechs, the, the new technology companies, you know, they're innovating and changing the game. And why are they able to do that? A number of the companies that are in this space are not offering anything that different, right? Right. At the end of the day, they're enabling somebody to accept a payment, credit card, debit card, whatever, or they are giving a loan to a small business, or they are allowing a buyer to pay over a term, a certain time period. We have products for all of those things that are being have been provided by the traditional organizations. Maybe a bank, right. for example, already provides lending to a small business. A credit card allows you to spread payments over time. But what these startup companies have done is changed the game because they listened to what the customer was looking for, what the right. need was, and then they tapped into that and kept expanding. And mm-hmm. we see that that has been a recipe for success across yeah. the last, especially 10 years right. in payments. And what we're now seeing is that those companies that had a foothold in payments, had a foothold in one particular area, are now setting their sights on super apps. So right. what have they done? A Klarna, for example, has taken their buy now, pay later product, which was a very specific fit for purpose spreading of payments over a number of, you know, four payments or 18 months or whatever. And Klarna now 
in their various additions to their suite of solutions is seeking to be a super app. And a super app is sitting at the center of the customer's life, whether it's their financial life or their health life, or maybe it's even broader than just a single realm. Mm -hmm. And they want to sit there and be able to interface with their customer across these different spaces. Mm -hmm. And that's a different mental thought process, business model, approach to talking to the customers, use of data, all of those things come into that equation. And those companies that started with a different mindset have that flexibility to be able to grow. I want to double click on that uh, that super app idea that you're bringing up. It's really fascinating. And in a way, you can also go beyond payments and commerce and even financial services. And, I, you know, I was reading, for example, that in the last couple of years, as you can imagine, food delivery has become greater than, than ever. And, uh, you know, the Uber Eats versus DoorDash versus Grubhub are all competing with each other. And, you know, what's interesting, for example, with an Uber, and I think you and I were talking about this uh, a few weeks back is, well, you know, started with picking up uh, picking up people offering different tiers different types of services speed luxury then shifted to delivery and now is getting into grocery and what's the next frontier a question that i have for you is how much space is there in financial services for these different super apps and where are the incumbents at the winners that we're seeing today are those organizations that have inserted themselves in the right places where the consumers are yeah with the need And this is often, you know, we were talking about some of the traditional providers. The the traditional providers, as I say, have all of these products, but they are coming to the consumer. I'm going to send you a co-brand credit card offer. And that's an individual kind of an interaction that is around a particular product that the bank say is offering. That's how they're structured. And they've got these particular silos. Instead, organizations that are interacting with the consumer more in the consumer's life in the course of their day-to-day life are not seeing it as a product-led thing, but Mm -hmm. as a consumer need-led. So if if you think about, for example, insurance, is a product that you could go to a customer and say, wouldn't you like to buy life insurance or wouldn't you like Uh to buy uh, to a small business? Wouldn't you like to buy property and casualty insurance, say? And often that's not top of mind for them or they're not thinking about it. But if you are interacting with them in the course of an engagement in something else where that's a relevant part of that decision the consumer is making to buy something like a trip from New York to Tokyo, would you like to spread that out over time Mm -hmm. there and perhaps ensure if you decide to make a change in your trip, you ensure the price of the trip gets refunded. That's peace of mind. That's insurance, just like any other kind of insurance is where it gets tacked on to something the consumer is already considering to buy. Yeah. And you are able to integrate it more into a natural decision that the consumer is making. Yeah. And that's interesting, right? I'm going to lump together millennials and Gen Z, right? Which are populations that in insurance are not necessarily or are rarely top of mind, right? I mean, this is 
this is not where you know proportionally you know the the most affluent people are this is not where the greatest awareness around insurance is right and so therefore this tends to be a challenge is if you want to go after a population like this in the spirit of meeting them where they're at there is a need for insurers to transform essentially their definition of product which is today it's and you you see this in banking and pay in payments it yeah, products is it's a regulated product right that is filed and regulated in in 50 states right but but here it's really exactly what you just mentioned the experience the embedding of of the experience into a partner app or a partner website is part of where the insurer needs to experiment and test and, and introduce new solutions. And that requires the, man- the mindset change that we were talking about uh, earlier. What else have you seen out there, players that have done it well, or you know, any guidance you would have for insurance to, to make that leap to go after millennials and Gen, Gen Z and others? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I would say that there is definitely a change in it's not a product. There's also a change that may be required in the perception around the company brand and also the interaction model. So there's kind of three areas there that we can learn from millennials and Gen Z. They are really redefining commerce as we know it. And insurance is something that is purchased. So I lump that into this commerce umbrella. And, you know, they, millennials and Gen Zs, these are people under 35, made up 42% of the population last year. So it's a very big chunk. And they are aligning their purchasing decisions, their way of shopping with more with values and convenience and digital interactions than ever before. Right. And so, you know, we see these customers, for example, preferring cash and debit use to credit cards. They prefer a buy now, pay later product, which is an installment payment product. They prefer that over using a credit card. I've heard many people in the payments industry say, well, they're they're the same. I'm worried about, you know, my buy now, pay later product cannibalizing my co-brand. They're actually very different in the consumer's Mm -hmm. perspective because consumers do not see buy now, pay later as a loan. They see it as a money management tool. And so, you know, tapping into how do they see a form of payment or a financial service is a very important lesson to learn. The buy now, pay later enables you to tack on some extended warranty protection and all these things that not only are way more seamless, but, you know, are presented as, oh, it's not that weird insurance product that I don't really like interacting with. It's part of my subscription or my monthly payment that I'm contributing to and that I'm totally comfortable with. And that's a very different way of engaging. That's right. Convenience, frictionless experience, seamless experience is really paramount Mm -hmm. because they have become accustomed to that way of interacting in the digital world. And so that is a very important design requirement as you're thinking about, you know, how to interact with millennials and Gen Zs. Mm -hmm. The other thing I would say as it relates to insurance specifically is the millennials and Gen Zs may not sit around all day talking about what kind of life insurance they want to buy or what kind of auto insurance they have. 
That may not be a topic they discuss a lot, but being safe is, being healthy is, caring for your family is actually something millennials do talk about, whether it's for their kids or their parents, you know, they're on both sides. Even being able to return a purchase Mm -hmm. is a guarantee for peace of mind in commerce. So those, if you think about insurance in a different way, those topics are all areas where insurance can factor in, in one shape or another. And so thinking about the convenience, the values they have, the peace of mind, those are all elements of tapping into then that millennial group, which is a huge opportunity area for insurers. And I want to use this as a transition to another area you were talking about that's uh, very interesting, which is small businesses. Yeah. And speaking of huge opportunities, that's a huge opportunity area as well. You know, there is, as you noted, a wide variety of small businesses, organizations that are, you know, whatever, 5 million in revenue, say, is a small business. But so is a seller or a maker on a marketplace. And we are seeing an increasing number of that lower end um, in size, small businesses, if you will, as Mm -hmm. people are thinking about, you know, being a maker or being some kind of, uh, you know, entering into the gig economy in some way. Mm -hmm. And those are typically companies that are underinsured. and have unique needs. And they are not going to have a finance department or somebody Mm -hmm. on their staff that's going to go research this for them. And so the ability for us to think about what are their needs and how Mm -hmm. might we be able to meet those needs, things like supply chain now take on different meanings for these smaller companies. So supply chain disruptions, legal and performance liability because of cyber-related threats. That's something we're seeing more of as well, where small businesses are really not covered for that. You were mentioning the big companies, right? It's not uncommon in insurance to say, look, we cater for large companies, medium-sized companies, small businesses. And the game oftentimes in small businesses is efficiency, scale, right? Commoditization of the offerings rather than, hey, every single small business is different. Let's cater to that. It is hard. I'm not saying it's easy, but that's the bit of a challenge. So interested in your thoughts and, you know, what have you seen there? What are, what are your perspectives? What's the, what's the opportunity there? Right. And the distribution question that you were touching on there is a really important one for these right. smaller you hesitate to even call them businesses because some of these sole proprietors or people don't even think of this as a business right. quite yet. But, you know, they're not going to be reached through your traditional agencies, your traditional right. insurance agents, because they're not really at that stature yet. But you could reach mm-hmm. them through marketplaces, through mm-hmm. places where they aggregate and congregate. Um, right. and, and then you would speak to them differently. You would interact with them in the context within which they're interacting with that marketplace or that place where they aggregate. And so, you know, even the way you, as an insurance company, a larger insurance company, you've got an agency network, but is there another network that you should be thinking about cultivating where you can Mm -hmm. reach some of these people? Like you say, they're individuals and help them and be a partner with them Should something go wrong, 
Can you be my partner in each of those situations? That peace of mind that I will, I will rely on you to help be my, you know, have your arms around me, you know, in an increasingly digital world where you do not see your, your customer, um, you know, as a seller, if you will, that is very appreciated. If we think beyond insurance, have you seen instances where players have have gone after this small business or micro business segment and and done well at flipping that mindset and really having the small business uh, back? Yes. And and in fact, we don't even need to leave insurance for that example. I would maybe point to, say, Airbnb. One of the concerns that a host may have is I don't want to put my house on the Airbnb site and have, you know, unknown strangers living there doing who knows what. I'm concerned they might wreck it, ruin it, cause some damage. And rather than go to the host and Airbnb saying, I'll sell you an insurance policy Instead, they have what, you know, they didn't even call it insurance. They just called it host protection. What they've done is with that protection, wrapped their arms around you and said, don't worry, if something should go wrong, we've got your back. We've got you covered. And that gives you peace of mind then to list your house. And so those types of changes in names, changes in interaction models, changes in points of purchase and where in the in the conversation, you bring some of that protection and peace of mind in is certainly, you know, an example. The ability to show, demonstrate a sensitivity to whatever their situation might be at the moment is, is really critical. It's interesting because you're talking about buy now, pay later, for example. And it's fascinating how quickly some of these convenience features have quickly become ubiquitous on apps. Right? I mean, you think about all the, all the payments, services, right, that are just one click and, and that's it. You don't need to enter your credit card anymore and all these things. You see the same thing in the buy now, pay later space, right? So to your point, convenience is really key. And it seems like if it's the right thing for the customer, very quickly it becomes adopted by every big player out there and it becomes a hit very quickly. As we have the often fintechs creating a new experience for customers that they love. It started with Uber, no click. I get in the car, I go where I want to go and I get out. I don't pay for that. I don't have that cab interaction in New York City as everyone's tooting their horn behind you to get out of the car. I don't have any of that. They created an experience that everybody loved. By doing that, they raised the bar for what is retail standard or what is the customer experience that is everybody is starting to expect. And you gradually get there. And the time between you know, adoption then by the next merchant, they're all trying to get that no-click payment checkout experience, for example. So, you know, the expectation of consumers is continuing to ratchet up. And that's why it's so important to have that seamless convenience, frictionless interaction, be there where the consumer is so that you're in the commerce flow wherever, whenever they see something they might want to buy. That's all important and new um, versus how you thought about it, say, 10 or 15 years ago. You know, and we talked about this quite a bit without necessarily calling it out this way, but 
embedded insurance is definitely the talk of the town. And ultimately, that's very much the combination of all the things we talked about, right? Meeting people where they're at, convenience, 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 and certainly valuing the experience in your product as much as the actual product that's sitting behind us. And valuing the need that it is meeting. That's where you're able to price it. You price Mm -hmm. it based on the need that it is meeting, which, you know, when you're solving that need, that pain point, that itch, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. you're then able to identify what's it worth to you to have this, this itch scratched or this pain relieved. And that's very different from perhaps a traditional way or the way a Mm -hmm. traditional provider would have thought about one of these products. One other thing I like to bring up is the risk aspect of all these things. And so, you know, we love to talk about the fact that it's very important to de-risk your journey to these fast-paced breakthrough innovations. Can you tell me a bit about maybe how some of these players have tackled this, right? And, and what are some of the ways to go at it and de-risk that journey to, to innovation and to meeting customers where they're at? There are some hurdles which are solved with technology. There are yeah. other hurdles which are in place because of regulation that are not solvable with technology. But the way organizations in payments, for example, solve them is by outsourcing the piece that they don't want to do and keeping the piece that they do want to do. So in payments, for example, a piece that is regulated often has to do with the money movement aspect, access Mm -hmm. to the money, to the monetary system and moving money. And that's where banks have privileged access. And fintechs could apply for money transfer transmitter licenses or a banking license, but most of them choose not to and Mm -hmm. choose to partner with a financial institution for that piece of money movement, say. But they are keeping that front-end interaction with the customer. They are keeping the customer experience, the interaction and, and messaging, marketing, the product definition, if you will, the way they are constructing the solution stays with them. For example, in the insurance industry, I've been seeing a lot of similar things where, uh, you know, exactly what, what you described happens where, in a way, you start close to the customer on the distribution side, moving to the underwriting. We, we see a lot of, you know, managing general, general agencies or MGAs that are handling all of this distribution, connecting with the customer, having that relationship, having the data, being able to provide a better experience and a better product through that data, exactly what you were describing. First, partnering with the more traditional carriers that have that infrastructure and working their way through the value chain over time as they're getting more of a foothold into the market and are able to grow into this. Any final words of wisdom from you, Beth, for our audience? Um, You know, we've talked about these themes throughout this last, you know, this time. Customers still have needs around commerce, around insurance. Their needs are still there, but their behavior is increasingly motivated by some of these non-product specific choices, right? They're solving for not only the product needs, but the non-product needs, trust, Mm -hmm. value, service. And so it's important that, you know, you create a frictionless anywhere 
purchasing across channels, across social platforms, the experience is omni-channel, omni-market, omnipresent for them. And we're seeing successful companies moving to, you know, integrate themselves more fully into the lifestyles of customers, creating connections to survive and thrive in this new age of commerce. Great. Well, Beth, thank you so much for your time. That was fascinating to talk about commerce, payments, insurance, small businesses, millennials, a lot of stuff that we unpacked together. So thanks so much for your time. That was, that was really fascinating. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Paul. It was fun. That was Beth Costa, who is a, a partner at Oliver Wyman and leading our America's Payments practice. I am Paul Ricard. Thanks for listening, and I will talk to you next time. For more information about our Reinventing Insurance series, you can find everything on our website at oliverwayman.com slash reinventinginsurance. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.